You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Yes, Lord, it's so amazing to come into your presence and just worship you with all of our hearts. There's only one word that we can even think of that comes close to describing you, God. That is awesome. Awesome is our God. Thank you for being, having the privilege of being called your children. God, thank you for bestowing your presence on us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, our greatest longing this morning to come to church is simply this, that we be near to the presence of God. And so, God, our prayer is simple. As we open up your word this morning, draw us, Lord, into your presence. Help us find our identities in you, O Lord. Help us find our ways in you, O Lord. Help us to know the joy and the peace and the love that come from being in the presence of our God. Our ears are open, Lord. Would you speak to us now? Our hearts are ready, God. Would you teach us? Would you teach us what it is to have a real faith, a living faith, a vibrant faith, that we might spend ourselves in this life on pursuing your glory and letting everyone else know how awesome you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to go ahead and grab a seat, and you can turn within your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 is where we are. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, one of the ushers would be more than happy to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. You can follow along. Please grab one and do follow along. Uh, Acts chapter 2, the title of today's sermon is this. It's a new kind of community. Here's what we've been doing in our church over the last several weeks. We've been tracking the early church and learning what it means to be an unstoppable movement of God. And when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit ushered in a new era for God's people. Like the, it's kind of the opening ceremonies for the church. If we watch the Olympics, we see the opening ceremonies, and we see the, and we see the, the torchbearer come and light the big torch that then remains, the torch remains until the ceremony, until the Olympics is over. That's kind of what the Holy Spirit did. He kind of lit the torch in believers that is going to remain until Jesus comes back. This is going to remain the whole church age. And when the Holy Spirit came, he changed everything for believers. He gave us new power. He gave us a new closeness with God that never before he was living inside of us, but he also, he also came to usher in a new kind of community that the world had never yet seen before. And here's what the community looks like that that the Holy Spirit came to usher in. It's found in Acts 2 verses 42 to 47. This is the text we're going to be looking at today, the entirety of the text. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to unpack it. And here's what it says, the little subtitle, The Fellowship of Believers. So context, Holy Spirit comes, he emboldens God's people, and Peter stands up and preaches 3,000 people. Remember last week, 3,000 people in one day came to know Jesus Christ. And then here's what is recorded next for us that we might learn from and grow from. And all these people, now around 3,120 people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the, and to, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who, were, who believed were together and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord continued to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
It's pretty amazing, isn't it? The simplicity yet the power of the early church. And so, so the 3,000 people, the 3,000 people, once they were saved and baptized, then what? Then what did they do with them? They, you know, they didn't just dunk them and then hand them a little baptism certificate and give them a good, good luck. Hope, hope, hope you do well now. You know what they did? The early church, they, they opened up the doors of their little room, their little church, to all these 3,000 new people. They opened up the doors of their hearts. These people said, hey, come join us in the family of God as God's people pursuing the things of God. It was just instinctual to them, come and be a part of our family. And, and the people who were being saved, there was an instinct in them that they realized that, hey, I wasn't just saved to now a solo mission. I was saved to be and drafted to be a part of the Lord's army, to be in this together with God's people. And so we see the establishment of a spiritual family here, the, 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 the community of believers that would be now called the church those that were gonna be there for each other and care for each other and give each other something greater to be a part of, invest our lives in together. This is what's happening here in Acts chapter two. This is the church in Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. This text here is both a picture of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be a part of a new community that God has set up. And it's also a description, it's also a description of the atmosphere in which, which dynamic faith grows. So a picture of the church, but also a picture for us of the, this is what it means to have an audacious faith. Remember our sub-series, Audacious Faith? This is what it looks like. It's not just on my own, it's with other believers to have a truly audacious faith. It involves being surrounded with God's people. In fact, the Bible tells us over and over, a life of dynamic faith is actually lived out in community. A life of dynamic faith is actually lived out in community. We often hear about the Christian walk and how I'm going to do the Christian walk. I'm going to start this Christian walk. Well, the Christian walk takes how many feet? So to walk takes how many feet? It takes two feet, right? Two legs? The Christian walk also takes two legs. It's, it's the personal disciplines. It's like I, I have a personal choice, a personal responsibility, and, and it's going for the Lord in my own heart, but it also takes to truly have an authentic, powerful, vibrant Christian walk. It takes the leg of community as well, surrounding myself with brothers and sisters to encourage me and exhort me in the things of Jesus. And quite honestly, you take one of those things out of the walk and you're like hobbling or hopping at best. I know it's kind of an awkward concept for us in North America, this individualistic, you can do this, you got this, you don't need anybody else. And yet God says, actually, you can't do this, you don't have this, you do need other people. And so a life of dynamic faith is lived out in community to really thrive in your faith. You don't just potentially need community, you need community but not just any group of people. It's a group of people who are passionately devoted to seeking God together. A group of passionate people devoted to seeking God together. That's really what it's spelling out here for us in verses 42 and 43. All these people, now it's a big church. It's not a small church, it's a big church. Now, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayers. It's amazing when you think about what happened here. It wasn't like people were trying to convince the new believers to join a church. They weren't trying to coerce them or twist their arm. It's like, it's like of all the things they could be devoted to, like you can imagine they're just like us, right? There's a lot of things they could have been devoted to. So I've just been saved. I've just been baptized. Now what? Now what? Go back to my old life and let my, let my job take over again and, and let my, my pursuit of family and my pursuit of friends be the defining factor in my life. Let, let my sports or my hobbies take over. No, it, it, they instinctively became devoted to the family of God. And what does it mean to be devoted? It means to be committed to. It means to be dedicated to, to be loyal to. 
So many things competed for their time and affection, just like us. So many things compete for our time and our affection. And yet 3,000 new believers show their true newness of life by how? By immersing themselves not just in water, but also in the body of Christ or devoted to the church. It's how we also show our newness of life. Something takes over in us and it's not about me anymore, it's about us. And the community of believers is so vital for us, it's so important for us to get this text because I believe so many people miss out on the fullness of what God has for them because they miss out on simple texts like this. And it shows us what the church is and what the church ought to be and how the church plays out in our lives. Four realities of a passionately devoted people seeking God together. First one is this, they're growing in God's word. You want to have an audacious faith? You want to have a faith that's full and alive and vibrant? It starts with you getting yourself in a place where you're going to be growing in God's word. I love how the Holy Spirit, again, he, he, he did something in these believers so that they instinctively knew that, man, they had a hunger for the word of God. They had a desire to, to study the word of God. They realized really quickly that, that there's an urgency of getting myself immersed and grounded in the word of God. What's next? Well, I, I need to know God more. I need, to, I need to grow in my faith. I need to know what this whole Christian life's about. Who can teach me? Who can teach me? The apostles can teach them. And so every week they would get together and, and they'd, they'd not just talk about superficial things from the day, they'd get together and they'd study and sit under the word of God, the apostles teaching. This was crucial. This is crucial to the life of a believer. Like mountain climbers gathering around a campfire on a cold, dark night to find light and warmth. So believers in the early church and today Aiming for the summit of heaven must gather around God's word to heat up our souls in the things of God and illuminate every part of our lives to his truth. This is so crucial. I know many of you think, well, I can study God's word on my own. I can, I can do my own thing at home. I don't need someone else to teach me and show me. And yet, and yet, you're not an apostle. Why would I come and say, clearly I'm not. But yet there's something powerful about, about the people that God anoints to preach his word. And people coming together, sit under it. There's something powerful about that and, and enlightening to every human soul. First Peter 2.2 tells us that when the word of God is preached, the word of God, that's what, becomes, that, that's what makes us grow. It's the word of God that causes us to grow through all the pastoral epistles. First Timothy, second Timothy, Titus. God says over and over, he calls his, his pastors not apostles, but pastors to preach and to teach in season and out of season to reprove and, and rebuke and exhort all the time. Why? Why is it so important that we sit under God's word? Because this is how we grow. It's crucial. It seems simple, yet it's so many churches stray from the simple truth of what God's word is. So many people miss the full reality of the, what, what happens in a room like this when we get together and we sit under the teaching of God's word. Church isn't just about coming and meeting friends you hadn't seen in a week. It's not even just about coming and putting in my token hour, hour and a half of service so that I can somehow feel like I've done God a favor and I've done some, something good in contributing to a greater society. Church is primarily about what? It's about coming to hear the word of God and be impacted by it that we might, be, might grow and be strengthened in it. Take the fire of the word away and all we're left with is a cold, empty circle. Gathered around what? I read this and I see this and man, I want us to get this because I know this is where, this is where God has given us power in our Christian faith. This is where our faith is really gonna become alive and vibrant. 
As the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, we too ought to be devoted to this gathering of believers, to, to, to be eager for this moment, to make this a priority for us to come early, come ready, come expecting to hear a word from God, not for somebody else, but for me. So true. To really grow in our faith, we need to be part of a group of believers that's passionately devoted to studying and growing in God's word together. The text goes on, though says this, the second thing that we need to be devoted to is this, being strengthened through genuine fellowship. See what it says there? To, to grow in the apostles, teaching the fellowship of believers. Fellowship, not as in like many churches of a fellowship hall. That's what kind of fellowship it's talking about here where you, you make your favorite casserole and you bring it and put it in the middle and you all get to dive into whatever else looks good. That's, that's not the fellowship it's talking about here. That is one form of fellowship. If you like that thing, I guess. But this is talking about something much deeper than that, than talking about crocheting or fishing with your friends. This is talking about a a fellowship. The word actually fellowship means this. It means a koinonia. 20 times it's mentioned in the New Testament. It means sharing in common or communion. This is a concept that has only come since the Holy Spirit came. You don't see koinonia before the Holy Spirit because what the Holy Spirit does is he comes and he, he saves us. He does something new in us. He gives us the life of God to dwell within us. And because the life of God dwells within us, here's what happens. We have a, a, a natural affinity to other believers who also have the love of Jesus within them. We have a connection with people that is deeper than our bloodlines. It's, it's connected by the power of the living God within us, which draws us to a new kind of dynamic connection with people that we've never had before, a new closeness, a new love, and a new spiritual dimension in our relationships that is meant to drive us closer to the Lord. That's what true fellowship is. It drives us closer. It encourages us and exhorts us closer to the Lord and the things of God. We think in terms of fellowship as surrounding ourselves with nice, fun, moral people that are could encourage us and tell us how awesome we are. We think of fellowship as in getting together with our friends and talking about weather and family and hobbies, and yet, yet true koinonia drives us to something much deeper, more meaningful than those things. Those things are good, they're not bad, but it spurs us on to, as it says in Hebrews 10, 24, to love and good works of faith in Jesus Christ. This is true fellowship revolving around Jesus that spurs us on to greater things for Christ spurs us on to eternal things, not temporary and earthly, but to eternal things. Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Really, here's what fellowship is. It's life-on-life support and accountability with other believers for the purpose of spiritual growth. Say the word fellowship, you're probably thinking, I got lots of fellowship. And you think of it in terms of that. Do you have lots of fellowship in your life? It's where faith grows. It's not like, hey, how are you doing? Good, good, slap, high five, you had a good day, you had a good day, great, awesome. It's, it's more of a like, hey, hey, here's, here's what's really going on in my soul. I need you to pray for me and speak truth into me. Can, can you tell me what's going on in your soul, in your heart, so you can pray for me and speak truth in, in me, so I can speak truth to you? That's true fellowship. Proverbs 27, 7. Iron sharpening iron for the things of Jesus. Everybody needs this. If your faith is going to grow, you need this. It's not like, oh, maybe I'll get around to that one day. You need fellowship in your life with believers. That's why we do small groups in our church. Not so we can say we have a church of small groups. 
but so that we can actually help you get into a place where you're actually enjoying real fellowship with other believers, that your faith might be strengthened. Third thing is this. It's being nourished through the Lord's Supper. It's being nourished through the Lord's Supper. See, this is the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Everyone needs to be a part of a community that takes these things seriously. The, the, the breaking of bread is, is really talking about communion. Is seeking God with a group of people that gather at the foot of the cross on a regular basis to reflect on and celebrate Christ's sacrifice. How do we get from going stale in our faith? I don't know about you, I battle all the time. How do we keep from going stale in our faith? It's getting with other believers to stop and, and, and hold the symbol of the blood of Jesus and hold the symbol of the body of Jesus in our hands to, to, to remember and reflect upon the monstrosity of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. If there's one thing that you and I can't forget in this life and can't allow to grow cold and stale, it's simply the reality that we have been saved from our sins, that we in our natural flesh are dead in our trespasses. We are sinners. We're dressed in the garb of prison garb, ready, waiting for death row, but Jesus came busting into our cell and he, he pulled us to freedom. He took off our prisoner's clothes and put on a, a holy robe of righteousness and he set us free to live a life free of guilt and shame and victory until he returns. That's the purpose of communion. It's not like a religious thing we do. They were just gathering for a religious thing. Okay, all right, let's go through all the motions of communion. They're gathering to remind me, get God, how significant this is in my life. Stir me again, God, to the reality of your son's death and sacrifice in my heart. Here's why we do the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is meant to be a shot of spiritual adrenaline for your soul. Not an add-on to the service or a it's meant to be a shot of spiritual adrenaline to your soul. A time where you can stop and really reflect in your heart. Am I truly walking with God? Am I, my heart really settled with God? Am I, am I in a good place with God? You can be renewed in a passion for Jesus. It's also, though, not just celebrating this type of communion. It's also celebrating this type of communion. Communion in the biblical sense is not just a, like, I'm good with God, I'm tight with God moment. It's also a, like, I'm good with the other believers moment. In fact, in the early days of the church, they used to do a love feast that was in conjunction with the Lord's Supper as an expression of love within the family of God. Nothing brings the Lord more joy than seeing his family on the same page in unity. Nothing grieves the Lord's heart, I don't think, more, yeah, sin, of course, but than seeing his family in upheaval. And so communion is really a time to stop and reflect, am I good? Am I good? That's why we do it it's a great time to appreciate Jesus and check our own hearts and take inventory of our relationships and even share a family meal this is what keeps the life of Jesus alive and so the early church that's what they did they didn't ask questions they, just, they knew they needed it they wanted to do it was actually a fun, uh, uh, enjoyable thing they did and they broke bread together and that gave them the, the nourishment in their souls they needed to keep going and of course the end one here is they prayed they received life through fervent prayer heard it before in Acts a couple times already. We're going to hear it many other times in Acts. The importance of prayer in the life of a church. Churches that pray together, grow together, and are strengthened together. I think God wants us to be a church that prays. We, how many times we've said it already in Acts? We're only in chapter 2. I think God's serious when he says that he calls his house to be a house of Prayer. It's where our lifeline is. It's where, it's where the, the life of Jesus flows through the power of prayer. 
Prayer is the heartbeat of the church. It was the heartbeat of the church. When they got together, they didn't just go in and do their thing. They, they spent time praying. Every single time they met together, they spent time praying to the Lord and seeking the face of God. I wonder often how God would look at our church and see us sometimes coming in and going out weeks upon weeks upon months upon years and some of us never uttering a prayer to the Lord in his house. Prayer is the heartbeat of the church. As the church prays, the life of Jesus beats within her. I'll say it like this. The life of Jesus only beats within his church as strongly as the church is praying. Prayer is the heartbeat of the church. As the church prays, the life of Jesus beats within her. And the life of Jesus only beats within the church as strongly as the church is praying. It's one thing for you to do your prayers at home, for sure. It's one thing. You know, this is good. It's important, right? It's completely other realm to come together, the believers, and actually, and actually get connected through prayer. You ever touch two live wires together? What happens? Some of you are like, oh, yeah. Sparks, right? Still power in this one, still power in this one. You put them two together, and bam, a little spark. And this is what the church is. As God's people pray, it just it ignites the spark of the things of God in the church. As God's people put the currents of, of prayer together, and boom, It's one of the most productive and primary purposes of Christ's gathering. That's why we keep telling you and encouraging you and inviting you to pray with us. That's why we keep saying we need a culture of prayer. We need a culture of prayer because God says we need a culture of prayer because this is what the church is and the church does. That's why we invite you to be, come, and, come and pray before service. Pray during services. Pray after This is why we say every week, come and pray at the end of service. Come and pray at the end of service. This is why we pray in our small groups. This is why we cancel small groups once a month so that we can get together and actually live out the New Testament church. Because prayer is a spark of life for the people of God. We need every one of these things if we're gonna live out a real faith, an audacious faith, a vibrant faith. We need every one of these things in our lives with other people. I don't know where we ever got the idea that this whole Christian thing, I just got to do it by myself, and if I have time for others, I, I'll, I'll give it. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the New Testament is written mainly to who? Groups of believers, the churches. It's vertical first as a group, and then horizontal, audacious faith. These are not optional exercises. This is the workout of a strong Christian with others. Church, small groups, communion, prayer gatherings. This is the life of a church. I don't want that. I just want the entertainment. This is the life of a church. I know some of you are thinking this. I know some of you are thinking this. Well, I just don't have time for this stuff. I've heard it many times over the last five years. Well, I, I, sounds all good. I, I, I want the fullness of faith. I, I want to be a part of a community that's like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just don't have time. Sorry, sorry, Pastor. You, you, the bar is way up here, and you know what? You've, you set the bar way too high. For one, we haven't set the bar. Jesus has. Right? For two, you, you, we have time for what's important to us. I've heard this so much in the last five years, I did a little calculations on my own. I might have shared this to you before, I'll share it again. In a week, in a week, if you get eight hours of sleep a night, which if you do, good for you, because very few people do, then you still have 16 hours a day to live your life, times seven days a week is 112 hours. So if you're actually going to live out healthily in the way that the body of Christ is set up, just in what we have laid out for you to, to really be here on a Sunday and, and serve the Lord here in, in the body of believers and come to a small group one night a week, then you're actually giving up like six to seven hours a week for the Lord and to be a part of a community of believers. 
If you want to do the math, six divided by out of 112, you know what you get? Like 6%. 6%. That's way too much to ask. Oh. Th- think about this. How much percentage of your week do you spend watching TV? How much percentage of your week do you spend surfing the internet or talking to your friends on the phone or surfing Facebook or, or reading your books or doing your gardening or, or hanging out with the grandkids? You know the things that you all like... I want an audacious faith. I want an audacious faith. Well, this is, this is what it is. The body of believers seeking God together. And this is where the life of God comes alive. This is, this is where, where dead faith becomes alive. This is where weak spiritual muscles get strong. This is where empty faith is made full of joy and blessing in the community of believers. Just like some plants only grow in certain climates, so our Christian faith only really grows in the climate of community. It's the way God's designed it. Some of you don't need to be telling you this. I need to encourage you that you're doing this. And praise the Lord, I see God working in you. And, 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 and I see God doing great things in your life. Others of you, you need to be exhorted in this. Because you're being like the fool in Proverbs 18. And you're, and you're, you're not surrounding yourselves. You're isolating yourselves, not surrounding yourself with the body of Christ. And so you need to be exhorted to that this is part of God's plan for you. And look what happens as a part of God's plan. As it got on, on God's page, look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. They, they, as they saw God work, as they saw God move, they were in greater awe of God, and they saw so much of God's activity. They're like, wow, this is amazing. We can't get enough of this. I want more of this. I want to see more of the power of God. This is where the fullness of life and joy come from. And they could have never experienced those things on their own, locked in their little rooms or in their basements, doing whatever they do. It all happened within the community of believers, seeking God's face together. Second part of this, though, it goes beyond just seeking God together as a community of believers. Point number two is this. To be a part of a vibrant community of faith, it also includes absolutely committing to investing in each other. It includes absolutely committing to investing in each other. This is the church of Acts, this is the early church that God started all the other churches from. They had all things in common. It says here, all who believe, so all the believers were together. They were together. They were in unison. They had all things in common. And they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Seems like a simple truth here, but I think, again, in the way we are brought up and the way we're taught to think it's, it's so profound it's so profound in short the believers were doing two things number one is this they were freely sharing of their lives I'm saved I can't believe it. I get to be part of a new spiritual family like I, I, I want to immerse myself in this new reality that I didn't even think was possible this close connection with other believers that think the same way I think that, that go after the same things I want to share my life with other people 
When believers said they had all things in common, what did they have in common? They had Jesus' mind in common. They had Jesus' heart in common. They had Jesus' likeness or his character qualities in common. They had Jesus' purposes in common. They had Jesus' way of life in common. So there was a synergy and a unity between people that had never, ever been seen before in the face of the earth until the church was established in Acts. It was a people that really sold out to this idea that it's all about me and bought into this idea that it's all about we. It's a people that didn't have to be exhorted in Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4. You know where it says, have the same mind, have the same love, be of one accord. It was the people who just lived it. They embodied it because of the, they're just so sold out for Jesus, so eyes fixed on Jesus, so I just want to pursue Jesus that the one mind, the one love, and the, and the things that came along with it, the one accord just flowed out from underneath. And there's no one walking around saying, hey, you shouldn't be selfish and cocky. They automatically were just loving the Lord so much. They were, they were selfless. And humble, considering others better than themselves and looking out for the interests of others. You think about it, this is audacious faith, don't you think? If you're to live like this, if you're to live in one accord, if you're to put yourself in a place where you can do life on life with other believers, this is audacious faith. It's so counterintuitive because the world tells us what? You look after yourself. You don't let anybody in. You have control over one thing in yourself and, and you, just, you just manage yourself. You look after yourself and yet God says if you do that, you're gonna live in emptiness and loneliness. Actually, the way to path in life is like you, you get rid of all those barricades. You let other people in and you actually, you actually surround yourself and, and be involved in, in the community of believers. I think when we read verse 44, we automatically lump it in with verse 45, and there is a connection, but I don't think it's the, this, all this is talking about is just possessions. And it says that the believers believed and were together and had all things in common. Here's, here's what I believe this is talking about. It, it, it's the believers, it's a picture of the believers having all things in common as in exercising the one another's in each other's lives. You know the one another's? There's 59 of them in the Bible. The one and others. 33 of them talk about, 3% of them talk about getting along. 33% of them talk about loving each other. And 15% talk about living in humility with each other. And the early church was devoted to the one and others. Here's some of them I wrote down for you. Just as a snapshot of what the one and others look like. Devotion to one another, Romans 12.10. Living in harmony with one another in spite of their differences and their quirks and all the things that come with each other, Romans 12, 16. Acceptance of one another, despite, despite maybe from different social backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, there was an acceptance of one another. There was a service of one another. Not, not I, I'm here so you can serve me, but I'm here, how can I serve you? The, the, said that in Galatians 5, 13. We're told to tolerate each other, Ephesians 4, 2. Tolerate each other means that there's gonna be some friction between each other, we're all sinful human beings, right? But we're called to, in the spirit and unity of love, tolerate even the things that are intolerable in others. Kind and compassionate to one another, it goes without saying. Get this one, Colossians three sixteen. Giving, giving and accepting admonishment from one another. This is what it means to be all in one accord, all on the same page. 
I so want to know Jesus that if you have something to speak into my life, I'm willing to hear it. I want to grow from it. Encouragement of one another, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Hospitality, being hospitable to one another, 1 Peter 4, 9. Loving one another throughout the whole New Testament. It's really a calling to live in mutual ministry. Somehow we think that we can have a good relationship with God and skip the one another, skip the mutual ministry part. It's just, it's, it's simply impossible to have a good relationship with God and skip the one another's. Hard? Better believe it. Inconvenient? Absolutely. Right and good in God's eyes? Yes. Believe me, I look at the one another's, and my wife and I have talked about this recently, and I was like, man, you know, you don't be the easiest thing in the world. Let's just sell all that we have, buy a little piece of property, put a mobile home on that thing, get a big garden, I'll chop wood for the fire. Like, that'd be easier than to deal with anybody who could just do our own little thing, and it'd be so, wouldn't that be sweet? No. Because we miss out on the fullness of life that God has intended for us with other people. We can't skip the mutual ministry part of a fellowship of believers. I'll tell you this, audacious faith is not coming and sitting in a pew for an hour and going home and not talking to anyone else in your community of faith again the rest of the week. Audacious faith isn't coming here so that your needs can be met. Part of the equation. It doesn't take faith to do those things, I tell you that. What takes real faith is like, I'm gonna put myself out there for others and allow them to put themselves out there for me that we might grow together in love and faith in Jesus Christ. That's what takes audacious faith. That's where faith grows. It's me diving into other people's lives and letting other people dive into mine. It's taking time to talk to people and get to know people around you in a real way, an intentional way beyond the high and the handshake. It's inviting people for dinner. It's not running in here and running out. It's making yourself available to those around you. In fact, Andy Stanley says this, one of the primary activities of the church was one anothering one another. I don't think we're doing bad at this as a church, just to be honest, as a pastor. I think we're doing good. I see it. I'm encouraged by it, but I also know this is always room to grow. There's always room to grow. Maybe I've this. Half our church is doing good at this. Half of our church is doing really well with this. The other, the other, we invite you to join us in what God is calling us to do and to be. It's freely giving ourselves to others. It's also this, though. It's generously pour, pooling our resources for the greater good. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And... And this, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Along with this new community came a brand new perspective, this perspective that, hey, wow, I, I always thought this stuff was mine. Like, I, I got my job, I worked for it, but, but now that I have Jesus living with me, I realize that all my stuff isn't mine, it's, it all comes from God. It's, it's not for me, it's for blessing other people with. 
And so we see the believers, they were so in tune with what other people were going through and thinking about that they were willing to sacrifice and give generously what they had so that nobody would suffer in the body of believers. Wouldn't that be sweet? Just tell you what this is not. This is not an, this is not an encouragement to go and like buy a piece of land and start a commune. That's just weird. Some people have suggested that about this text. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about caring enough about others that you're willing to put what is most important to most of us on the line, which is our finances and our resources. It's talking about living out James 2, 15 and 16. Here's what James 2, 15 to 16 says. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, pat, pat, cuddle, cuddle, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Again, that's easy. I've done that far too many times, all moment of transparency with you guys. God is calling us to something greater than that. Not a, I'll pray for you, but like, you have a need? Like, I'll have a yard sale Saturday. I'll get rid of a lot of things Saturday. Selling your possessions, what it says, right? So I'll get, I'll get rid of a lot of things Saturday. I'll, I'll whatever, like, I'll, you can have it to make sure that you're covered and your kids are covered and your family's covered, you, whatever it takes. Oh, oh, you need some tires? Well, I got actually a second set in my garage that I only use. It's just a spare set. Have it. Have it. I don't need it. Have it. Oh, you're struggling to put food on the table. Let me not direct you to the church. Let, let me throw a few extra things in my shopping cart. What do you need? I'll get them. And my girl, I'll tack it on mine. I'll bring it to your house tomorrow night. Like, what, what do you need? Oh, man, I, I didn't know that, that you had such a, ter- a, 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 a hardship come across your life. You know what I'll do? I'll actually, I'll actually go and, and sell some things that maybe I don't have an excess, but I'll just sell them because you really don't need them anyways. I'll just sell them and you can have that. I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Gotta be honest, this is just a concept in the Christian church in North America. It's just a concept. It's not a reality. This is something that preaches well but doesn't really live out well. Why? Why is it? I ask myself all the time, why is it? Why is it? I think it could take some things that are hard that we really need God to do in us. We, here's four things it takes that I'm not, not sure that sometimes we're willing to pay the price for. Here's four things it takes in your own heart, in my own heart, for this to be said of Harvest Niagara, for this to actually be our church community. I would love for this to be our church community. As they describe us, they're like, that church there, that's like Acts 2. That's like Acts 2. Here's what it takes. It takes real love. It, it takes the sacrificial love that Jesus Christ gave to you on the cross. It takes, it takes you, the sacrificial love that Jesus put into you the moment you're saved. It takes you actually living that out, asking God for more of his love exercising the love of Christ that you already have within you and celebrating the love of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus put his love in us? Not just to hoard it to ourselves, to let it overflow from us to even those who we don't intentionally or naturally gravitate to or love. That's the love of Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ, what? He died for us even loving those that are broken, remembering that this is how broken I am, how broken I am, and Jesus still pours his love into me. It takes real love. Sacrificial love. Eager love. It also takes this, it takes true faith. 
To live like this takes true faith, believing that God will take care of my physical, emotional, and spiritual needs to the point that I can freely give of myself and my things because I know that God's gonna put all that I need into my heart and life. I can extend grace to those words who offended me because God gives me the grace to do that. I can be generous because I believe that as I'm generous, God's gonna provide for my needs and it takes faith. It takes faith to put myself out there knowing that if I put myself out there, God's gonna watch over me, God's gonna protect me, God's gonna give me everything I need. It also takes this, here's the word that so many people don't like in today's culture, but it's just real, it takes genuine commitment. Here we go, commitment. The pastor said it again, commitment. Here's the reality. I want people to be there for me in all of my beautiful moments and ugly realities. And so why will I not put my skin in the game for them? Commitment. Commitment's not when it's comfortable and when it's convenient. Commitment is like, I want you to be there for me. And so I'll be there for you. I will actually get involved in a small group so I can do life on life with people. I will actually serve in my church. I will take my calling to community seriously even when it hurts. It takes genuine commitment. Are we willing to pay the price to be on God's page, to know the fullness of life and joy that God intended us to have? It also takes this. It takes authentic vulnerability. It takes us being real. It takes us throwing away these stupid masks that I don't know where they came from, but they're in every Christian church. Ripping them off, throwing them in the garbage, and never going to that garbage pail again. It takes us being real and being willing to admit, I need help. And being willing to let somebody else come in and say, I can help you. We've got to take off this mask of some sort of elite spirituality that says that, well, you know, I'm here for you because that's how awesome I am, but you don't need to be here for me because I'm already good. It takes a vulnerability to really step out and help others and let others help you. (coughs) Difficult, again, yes. Uncomfortable, for sure. What's the danger? The danger is this, I'm gonna get hurt. I'm gonna get burned. Some of us have been burned by trying to do this and so we've decided we're never going back there. That's the enemy telling you to never go back to a place that God is gonna bless you and strengthen your faith. but something we long for, absolutely. Within each one of us is a longing for this type of relationship and community to be a part of. Tim Keller says this, everyone says they want community and friendship, but when that means accountability or commitment, you know what happens? People run the other way. But this is what God has ordained for our lives for our good and his glory and we choose to put it into practice and to actually live it out and to embrace God's call upon our lives, not putting it off till tomorrow, but doing it today and, and being all in, not just with God, because being all in with God means being all in with his people too. Being all in, look what happens. Look at, look at the direct result. The people here joyfully see deep gospel impact. As, as the people of God live out this, really what it is, it's a microcosm of heaven, right? The church is supposed to be a microcosm of heaven. It's supposed to look at the church like, if that's a glimpse of what heaven's gonna be like, man, I want that. If that's a glimpse of the love and the power of Jesus, I want that. And, and as, the, as the believers in the early church are living out this reality of this glimpse of heaven on earth, this glimpse of the manifest presence of God, look what happens. People are deeply impacted. They're deeply impacted, but other people around them are deeply impacted as well. Day by day, they did this together. 
attending the temple, going to church, together breaking bread in their homes, going and eating meals in other people's homes, receive their food with glad and generous hearts. As people simply just live this out, they started praising God with greater fervor and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As the people of God realized the blessing of being called a part of the family of God, they just lived it out. Nothing spectacular here. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't being interviewed by Christianity today because of all the, wow, what are you doing in your life? They're just living their life, going to church, living out, caring for the believers. Look what happened. Within them welled this glad and generous heart. Within them welled a greater intensity in worship. Within, because of their lives, a massive impact in the community. Simply by living out the calling of God. Side note, where do we get this idea that we should meet here on a Sunday and in small groups throughout the week? Church Planting Manual 101, right here. Why do we say we're a church not with small groups, but of small groups? Because it says it right here. This is what they did. For those of you who think that you can't be a tight community in a big church, this church is over 3,000, well over 3,000 by now. They're still living in a tight community the way God intended, right? Going to church, celebrating together throughout the week, interacting and caring for the body of believers. And as they did this, their hearts Gladness, generosity just sprung up. Let me tell you this, only when you live in true community do you find the fullness of what God intended through your relationships. Only when you live in true community will you find the fullness of joy and happiness that your heart longs for. When you pursue God in community, it equals growth, which equals gladness in the Lord. If you're missing gladness in the Lord, connect yourself fully to the body of believers. It will come. Led to greater intensity in worship. The community, they all, they're all bringing their little fireworks of praise to the group gatherings and worship just sprung up. You can have your little worship service at home. This is a picture having one little, fire, one little fireworks in your own home and lighting that thing up. That's your worship service at home. Bring all those together. 650 people bringing those together, all lighting them off at the same time. What do you have? An explosion of worship. Which would you rather, the little, little one at home? Or the explosion in the body of believers. That's what happens. And worship just praises. As we see, as the people saw, as we see, wow, God is working in your life. God is doing things. More praise rises. More praise rises. Get excited what God is doing. More praise rises. And then the people around you start looking around going like, what in the world is happening there? How come these people are loving each other so much? How come these people are actually have joy in their hearts? How come these people like, who won't talk, stop talking about Jesus, how come, how come they have everything that I really long for? How come? And the natural reaction is the people around you start saying, there must be something to this Jesus person you keep preaching to me about. And I want him. If that's what the result is, that's what I want. It's quite honestly that simple. We make this, this circus of theology and it's really that simple. But yet it's that profound. As the people of God were filled with the Holy Spirit, they preached the good news and they lived in community loving each other. And people were added and people were added and the church grew and people were added and lives were changed and people were added and sin was broken and people were added and baptisms happened and people were added and isn't that wild? 
none of it's really about us. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit, us just getting in line with what God's doing, and the Holy Spirit takes that and spreads the wildfire all around. I pray that our church would look like this. I pray that my life will look like this. That God would be so gracious to add to us compelled and committed and contagious people fully devoted to their faith in Jesus Christ and the family of God. As I look at this, I simply pray this prayer. God, give me, give us audacious faith. May we not hold anything back. Give us audacious faith that you'd be glorified and your kingdom would be advanced. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? It takes each of us saying this, God, I surrender. I will do life your way by your power starting today. Let me pray. God, I thank you for uh, your word today. I thank you, God, for the encouragement that comes out of this passage for those that are really striving to live this out. God, would you strengthen our faith, God? Would you help us to be all that we're supposed to be? Would you give us joyful hearts, glad hearts, loving hearts, worshipful hearts? Would you give us, Lord, allow us to see this word play out in our lives and our church? God, would you encourage those who need to be encouraged today? God, would you exhort those who need to be exhorted today for those that are here and they see this and their souls really long for this, but there's something that's holding them back, whether it's hurt, God, previous hurt, or whether it's stubbornness in their own soul, whether it's preoccupation with their own things. God, I pray, I pray that you would break down whatever wall is between them and really it's you and your body of believers. And God, would you, would you exhort them, Lord? Would you strengthen them to take step of faith and actually get connected to the community of believers? here or somewhere where the truth is being lived and played out. God, would you work in us today? Would you not just let this be a message that we hear and we allow the enemy to steal away from us or we allow ourselves to refute with our own little logic in the back of our minds of why this can't be and why this shouldn't be? Instead, God, would you allow us to be men and women who are fully, fully surrendered to you living and loving you in a community with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.